A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's this documentary about two brothers. There's Tom. He's a failed movie director who has moved back in with his parents. And then there's his brother, Matt, who is the lead singer of one of the most internationally acclaimed indie bands of the 21st century, The National. The documentary is called Mistaken for Strangers, and it captures this sibling relationship that is so familiar to many of us and yet so outsized as this one brother keeps feeling like he lives in his other brother's shadow and is never really quite in, right? So much so that he begins to think they might actually be mistaken for strangers, like they're not even really brothers. As St. Paul continues in his letter to the Ephesian church, he reminds them that they were once strangers to the community of God's people. They were out in every way, but they had been brought in. The church as Jews plus Gentiles isn't something that we often consider in late modern Christianity. But in St. Paul's day, the drawing together of Jews and Gentiles in worship of Jesus Christ and his Father was a beacon of nothing short of new creation, as Paul hints at in our reading. This isn't just about racial tension, although there was plenty of that. Over time, the Jewish people's status as God's chosen people often led them to look down on Gentiles, which is everyone else, as somehow less than. And in a fairly classic chicken-egg situation, Gentiles have exhibited anti-Semitism in varying degrees throughout history because nobody loves a favorite child. But it's more than just race. This was a distinctly religious situation. 
Religion is a word that doesn't carry much water for us these days, other than as a way of identifying fanatics or holier-than-thou types. I'm hopeful that we're starting to recapture more of what religion entails. And the word in more archaic forms in English, religious, signified a monk or a nun living under monastic vows. Whereas secular in the Middle Ages could refer to anyone else, including priests, who were not monastic. The root of religion means to bind. It's about obligation and reverence and practice and ritual as a way of relating, as a way of relationship. And what St. Paul is telling us is that for centuries, Gentiles, pretty much all of us, were cut out of the relationship with the Lord that Israel had because we were cut out of temple worship. Back in the days of the Old Testament, in the days of Christ as well, even the proselytes, those non-Jews who came to believe in the true God of the Hebrew Scriptures, who showed their belief by taking the sign of the covenant, circumcision, and sought to live life among God's people, even they were only allowed so far in the temple, and then they were stopped by a literal dividing wall. Like Tom in Mistaken for Strangers, they were always just outside. They were never really in. It's interesting to me that St. Paul here doesn't attempt to be cuddly and to sort of fuzz things over by telling the Gentile Christians that, no, 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 you guys were really in. Come on, we love you guys. We're all the same. No, Paul's very upfront. Remember, at one point, you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship with God's people, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. If you'll notice, all of this, this hopelessness, this isolation, hinges on one terrifyingly uncontrollable fact. They were born Gentiles. They didn't choose to be born in Ephesus any more than you chose to be born to your parents. You simply arrived and eventually recognized the seemingly lopsided nature of your arrival. You had no say in the matter. And other people, mostly one, basically did all of the work to get you here. That's what it means to be born. In many ways, I think what Paul is saying here, however hyperbolic he may sound, summarizes the human condition To be born is to be a stranger. Existing in this world almost necessitates loneliness, a sense of estrangement that can fade in various seasons, but that subtly persists throughout our lives. This is part of the nuclear fallout of sin, to sense this strangerliness. In turning away from God's purposes for us in the world, we have ripped the relational fabric of the universe, tearing ourselves away from him, from each other, and even from our own selves. But along came St. Paul, and here again he uses that phrase, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ has destroyed the dividing wall. And again, think on multiple levels here, both racially and religiously, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. This is an incredibly profound statement. That Christ has set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. 
What St. Paul is getting at is similar to what the author of Hebrews tells us. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Meaning the law isn't abrogated, it is fulfilled. Christ in his flesh and blood has fulfilled everything that the Mosaic law was pointing to in that he has brought about the reconciliation that the law of Moses could only point to like a road sign to the destination itself, right? Nobody camps out at the road sign saying Grand Canyon five miles. You want to go to the destination. This is what Christ has accomplished in terms of the law of Moses. This reconciliation permeates to such depths of our being that Paul uses the language of new creation, No longer are we kept far off and disintegrated within ourselves. The same spirit that hovered over the primordial waters of creation and brought order and beauty to God's creative acts, the same spirit that overshadowed the Blessed Virgin Mary to bring about the birth of Jesus Christ, the same spirit who powerfully raised Jesus from the dead has begun the work of new creation and unparalleled reconciliation in those who have been sealed in Christ through faith and baptism. The same spirit is doing this work in our lives. Just as I said last week that God's covenant making means that the rights of children inheritors of his kingdom, simply are the rights of the baptized followers of Christ. So here, the Spirit births us into this radical reconciliation. And the second birth from above is much like our physical birth. It is something that happens to us that only later can we begin to really understand. But as this understanding that we seek to expand, just as babies instinctively work to eat and learn motor skills and language, so we have been given all the avenues of nourishment needed to grow up into Christ, who is the head of the body. We have already been reconciled. I'm going to say that again. We have already been reconciled. Now we must allow that reconciliation to soak through the towel of our existence, permeating everything. This is part of the reason that the rhythms of common prayer are so important to us as a parish. Prayer is an embodied practice of appropriating the reconciliation that is already ours. It is a way of behaving like children of the king, living our life in the presence of his throne room. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, a day without morning and evening prayers and personal intercessions is actually a day without meaning or importance. The Spirit works as a seamstress, sewing together again the fabric of God's world that has been so torn apart. And as the Spirit does this work of new creation, he is crafting a tapestry more beautiful than we could imagine. And we have the opportunity to be the thread in his hand, pulling the fractured world back together in a unified image of God. This is what it means to be in Christ, to be a Christian. We are part of the tapestry that he is weaving. If you'll allow me to press the metaphor into insanity, it's as if Christ's body, taking on the sin of the world, became the shredded and tattered fabric of the disintegrated, lost world. And it is through his suffering that we are now stitched back into the divine life. 
and reintegrated as we were meant to be. Christ is our cornerstone, says St. Paul. Or in some translations, our capstone. In an ancient building, the archways would have this stone that was cut precisely in geometric fashion in order to keep the rest of the stones from falling down. The cornerstone would be the perfectly symmetrical stone that rests, that the rest of the building would fit against to ensure that it remained true and square. What Paul is telling us is that Christ is our measure. He is the thing that tells us if we are in line or not, and the apostles and prophets are our foundation. This is why we emphasize our self-understanding as being an apostolic church. We didn't just spring out of nowhere. We have received from outside of ourselves, from others who have handed down, we have received the message of Christ, the wisdom from before all ages through the proclamation of the apostles. The structures, forms, and teachings of the church are not ours to morph as we see fit. They are designed and built to line up against the cornerstone that is Christ. They make up the tradition, the handing down of the apostolic charism from which the entire shape of the church is given form and stability. Just like you would not move into your house and start destroying walls not knowing why they were there or removing beams not knowing if they hold anything, likewise with us. We didn't build this thing. It was given to us. This turn of events to have gone from people far off, walled away from the center of the temple and God's presence without hope and without God in the world, going from that to being built together into a dwelling place for God himself. It was what Tolkien calls a catastrophe. Hope seemed lost, but through a sudden reversal of all the sad things have become untrue. And the light and joy of new creation streams through the windows of our lives. This is the mystery that was hidden in Christ for all ages that has been entrusted to the apostolic church. That God from the beginning has wanted to dwell among not just the family of Israel, but all the nations of the earth. Our response to this news can only be one of praise and thanksgiving and sacrifice to a God as glorious and praiseworthy as this. What wisdom, what joy, and what unsearchable riches are ours in Christ. In closing, I invite you to hear the words of St. Paul in the preceding paragraph uh, right before our lesson that was read to the Ephesian church. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen.